This is One in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 59 is a weekly show devoted to topics related to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning, I am very pleased to have in the studio with me, um, thank you for coming down, ladies, um, Gina Williamson, who is Anderson's Health Services Coordinator. Good morning. Good morning. And Mary Waldron, who is Anderson's Children's Services Nurse Supervisor. Good morning. Hi, Good morning. Hi. Mary. Mary is thrilled to be here. <laughs> yes. Um, we're going we're gonna to have a nice, relaxed conversation about um, what both of you do every day, how you work together, how you support your team, because we have a really robust, awesome team of uh, nurses and health service providers, how we collaborate together at Anderson, and um, because you have an incredibly important job there. And I know it's near and dear to everyone, but most especially to the family who've made the very difficult decision to place their children in a residential setting. So we're going to talk about all those things. But first, um, Gina, if we could start with you, can you give a little background about yourself? Sure. My name is Gina Williamson. I'm currently the health services coordinator at Anderson Center for Autism. I originally came to Anderson as the nurse supervisor, which is Mary's current role now. Um, Prior to Anderson, I was a dialysis nurse for the majority of my career. I worked the floor, and then I moved my way up to management, but I did every part of dialysis that could possibly be done. Um, Prior to that, I was a case manager for many years in the community. So when I saw the opening for Anderson, I really wanted to collaborate my two degrees, my nursing and case management degree, to work in human services again. Additionally, I have a sister who was placed in Cardinal Hayes when I was younger. So it's a very special place in my heart to be at Anderson and helping the families in the community that have to give their children to Anderson to look after because I, I understand that intimately. Wow, I didn't know that about you. Thank you for sharing that, Gina. Um, And I brings a lot together for me in terms of um, your approach to working with people. You have a very calming um, affect. Thank you. And I love that. I appreciate um, it. So knowing that you have a long background in it makes a lot of sense. Mary, how about you? So I started in Anderson about 10 years ago in May, mm-hmm. I was a, a temp through an agency, fresh out of nursing school, had wow. no, <laughs> no idea what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be an OBGYN nurse. No, no. <laughs> I started there. I fell in love with the kids yeah. and I never left. I uh, got hired um, after my uh, contract was up and I started off as the children's um clinic nurse Mm -hmm. and then I did some residential nursing Mm -hmm. and then about a year and a half ago I became nurse supervisor because I had a wonderful leader ahead of me Gina when she started (laughs) so um, and during that time I had my son who's actually going to be six in July and he has autism Mm. and working here with these kids really you know helped me with him and every day it's just a blessing to come to work and to have all those tools you know, in my own personal life as well as where I work as well. Wow. Thank you both for sharing your, your professional backgrounds and also your personal connections. Um, I am always, um, it's always striking to me and not completely surprising, but it does always stand out the number of uh, team members at Anderson from all different roles who have a personal connection um, to autism. I think 
certainly reinforces the fact that the name of the show is one in 59. I mean, the rates of autism diagnoses in this country is, is high. But also, I think what you just said it really beautifully, Mary, that you have the opportunity to sort of take what you understand as being a mother of a child on the spectrum to work. And I would think that for all the moms and dads listening to this show right now, that probably is bringing tears to their eyes, because that's what they would hope for, uh, you know, in terms of that level of understanding. Um, but also that you have learned so much at Anderson that helps you at home. And so I just want to appreciate you both for sharing that. That's oh, you're great. Welcome. You're welcome. Okay, so um, so you obviously both bring a tremendous amount of experience. Um, Mary's yours is specifically all pretty much from Anderson's. Yeah. Um, and Gina, yours from, from uh, varied backgrounds. What is your... Um, Gina, let's start with you. What do you think is one of the most important aspects or characteristics of a successful nurse in uh, in our program? They they need to have compassion. Um, clearly, you're going to nursing school, so you have to have the nursing skills in order to to accomplish the task every day of dealing with an individual with autism. Mm-hmm. But one of when we're interviewing, one of the things we say is they're not neurotypical. And we have some individuals that can speak to us and tell us what's wrong, but you really have to hone in on your assessment skills. So even though we bring in brand new nurses... I always tell those nurses, you might not be getting the clinical skills that you're getting in a hospital, but you're certainly going to develop some skills that will take you far beyond working at Anderson. Because if you're when you're dealing with individuals that can't speak for themselves, you're really taking your assessment skills and honing in on oh, them yeah. to make sure that you can diagnose, well, we don't diagnose, but assess yeah. the situation and be able to relay that information to the providers and make decisions about you know is this something that we can manage here in house does this person need to go to a outside provider does this person need to go to the er you know i get all those emails and i you know i i always take a moment and say somebody you know one of you made that decision and um so it it is a big deal and i think it's worth repeating that those are um that is a skill that is hard to come by in another as uh, well as communicating Mm -hmm. because we have to constantly communicate with other disciplines Mm -hmm. the parents um, you know, we're constantly talking to teachers and RMs and the parents, each other. Mm-hmm. So you have to have good com- communication skills as well. Absolutely. Mary, What, given what Gina just said, um, how do you – give us an example of how you might do that. Let's say you're working um, or as a supervisor, you're, you're – um, maybe collaborating or working with a nurse who's um, trying to assess a situation with um, with a student who is completely nonverbal um, and maybe even new enough to the program that isn't hasn't found their their sort of more familiar way of finding a way to communicate. What are some of the things that you look for or that you train your nurses and, and teach them to look for when it comes to how severe is the pain? Um, you know, how deep is is um, is the the cut or the injury? What are what are some tools that you use? So when I actually, we have two new nurses that I've been training um, with other nurses who have come such a long way with their assessment skills. You know, it is that communication piece and talking to the direct support staff, the TAs, they are with these guys all the time. They know any little subtle change. It can be anything from they're chewing weird or they didn't eat as much of their favorite lunch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to any nurse in a hospital, be like, yeah, and, <laughs> you know. But here, it's look at their ears, look at their nose, look at their throat, mm-hmm. um, do a bowel assessment, see if they're constipated. Maybe, you know, they need to go, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing. 
and you just do a full head to toe because you don't know because they can't tell you. Exactly. So you pretty much do a head to toe and you speak for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of nurses are like, well, that seems unnecessary. That's a lot to do. But when you don't know and no one's telling you, it's good to cover everything. Well, that reminds me of a phrase I hear all the time at Anderson, which is rule out medical. Oh, yes. Right? Isn't that our catchphrase? Rule out out medical first. Because, again, we serve a population, some of whom can talk to you or or hand you a pain um, icon. We have a lot of visual aids that, you know, I know you have in the nursing office and also in the residences and the classrooms. Um, But... uh, Really, until the, the the cause is found, you're going to continue to look at um, a change in behavior, whether it's just a change right. in sort of an eating behavior or somebody who typically does not engage maybe in self-injurious behavior is suddenly starting to hit their hand or hit their head or bite their their wrist or something. Um, that can always, we, you know, you don't know. It could be a sign of any number of things. So right. I love um, I love Rule Out Medical because it's just one of those things that I think has really taken on or taken off at at, uh, at Anderson. And hopefully, I would assume in other residential programs, it's one of those things that oh, you guys live by. Yeah, yes. I mean, we're a behavioral model, but like you said, you have to rule out medical because if there's something medically wrong with the individual, nothing mm. you do behaviorally is going right. to stop them from having SIB. Right. And that, I think, is a nicely uh, segue into that doesn't happen overnight, right? You, 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 you have to... Um, I think there's another special aspect of being a nurse at Anderson where you have to have the ability to form solid relationships with the other team members who are spending lots of time with the students. So the teacher, the TAs, the uh, the specialist teachers, the the food service staff, let's not forget them. They're the, usually the first ones who I think identify that somebody's mm-hmm. not eating the way they usually are, can be sometimes. Um, residential staff, operations, like pretty much you interact with everybody. Um, so you have to have relationships with them, but also you develop a non-medically focused relationship with the students, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. So that you know their personalities. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I love my kids. <laughs> Some of them I do. I'll, I'll call their mom and be like, hey, guess what our boy did today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> guess oh, you do the good call, the good news call? Oh, I yeah. tried. I mean, I have. <laughs> good. Uh, yeah. I've been on, you know, I've had to give the bad calls, but I always use them. They're fine. <laughs> or yeah. you try to preference with. So on a good note, I yes. saw them in the hallway today. Yeah. And, you know, parents want to hear, hear that. They don't always want to hear they're sick or they're not feeling right. well or they didn't have a good day. They want to hear something productive as like well. Like with blood work when... One of my guys, he finally got into the chair. I called up my mom and I was like, guess who sat in the chair for blood work? And we just, we were celebrating. Yeah, because these are big moments. And these are things that by and large, especially maybe before that child came to Anderson, would preclude a parent from being able to get, you know, to feel comfortable that their child was getting regular competent health care um, or it was sort of don't take them to the doctor or take them to the ER was like the only way to do it and then you're dealing with possible restraints and that look right yeah. mm-hmm. that so many families get we've that what's wrong do, with your with with your child yeah, so there's that level of understanding we've had to do a lot of desensitization to mm-hmm. our office because a lot of our children you know they just don't want to come into a medical oh, and they, office. Oh, and they're very smart. They know right. immediately. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> but when we have some our of the little nurse, tricks. Yeah, when some <laughs> of the nurses wear scrubs, they know. And on yeah. when we have an individual coming in, 
some of the nurses won't wear scrubs that day. I mean, I, I never wear scrubs just mm-hmm. because, you know, they see scrubs. They think, oh, you're doing blood work. Yeah. Not coming in here. Yeah, exactly. Do it as whatever I can to avoid. I think um, you're giving us some insight into some of the um, honestly relatively simple decision making decisions that you do. But and I say simple, not out of disrespect, but these are small things that end up being things that a lot of people do not realize make an enormous difference in the lives of the people that we serve and their families. So I appreciate that. Also, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into the um, how do you desensitize somebody question. Uh, This is 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. Hey, Hudson Valley, a movement's taking shape to optimize the quality of life for people with autism, and you can be a part of it. Thanks to the Think Differently initiative, Anderson Center for Autism has trained over 100 businesses and organizations to become autism-supportive environments. Duchess is the first of its kind autism-supportive county, and the village of Rhinebeck the first autism-supportive community. Get your group the training needed to make a heartwarming impact on countless lives. Learn more at andersoncenterforautism.org. Welcome back to 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and I'm talking to two of my uh, colleagues from Anderson, Gina Williamson, Health Services Coordinator, and Mary Waldron, Children's Services Nurse Supervisor. And we're going to work on shortening your title one of these days, but um, I've had a long one too, so in the past, so um, I understand. But so in the first half of the show, we kind of went over the overview of your roles, your background, um, some of the things that really go into to um, an, an, a successful Anderson Center for Autism nurse. Um, and it's great to hear that you're in the process of training two new nurses. Mary, how are they doing so far? Excellent. All right. Wonderful. Love hearing that. Um, we get a lot of really positive feedback from families about um, the nursing services that are provided. And again, I think that that speaks to just how important this particular aspect of their child's um, care is to them, especially what you noted before, Gina, that these are families, and you've gone through this as a sibling, who made the incredibly difficult decision to have their child move from their home to our residential program. Um, there's so much that you give up um, when that decision gets made. Um, it It is an incredibly um, awe-inspiring decision always every time I, I talk to a family who's gone through that. Um, but I think that that is one of the main things is how do I know that my kid's going to be okay? And so you really represent the department that from a medical slash emergency slash injury slash illness perspective, you're kind of responsible for being there for that question. Um, so let's go into one aspect of that, which you mentioned before, desensitization. So beyond encouraging maybe some of the nurses to not always wear scrubs, which they may, might be used to if working from a doctor's office or in a hospital, um, to just help students get to know you as a person um, and not always associate scrubs with that day where they might you know, have to get blood work or something. What are some ways and who else do you collaborate with to desensitize a student who needs to be seen, but right now is just not going to have anything to do with walking into the nurses, the clinic? We, we work with all staff. Okay. Um, one particular case, I remember we had a day student who was going to be 
become residential. And he was just terrible for his parents going anywhere for any type of medical. So we would physically go down to the classroom and bring little tools from the nurse's clinic and just let him play with the tools. And we would bring some snacks that we knew he was allowed to eat. So we kind of became friendly and he liked to see us because, oh, look, they're, they're coming. They're going to have a treat for me. But at the same time, we're going to be putting, you know, some tools on him and just kind of maybe taking a blood pressure. Just so prior to coming to the clinic, he was familiar with our faces as well as some of the tools that we use when they come down to the clinic. And how, what was the outcome? It was great. He ended up being able to get blood work done. Um, In the chair. Yeah. Everything that his mom never thought would happen, Mm. happened. And it was... in the long run for him, um, it was the best thing that could have happened coming to Anderson and, and getting the medical care there because it really took him very far outside of Anderson when his parents had to take him to the doctor. And oh, whatnot. so there were more general um, outcomes or eat from very that much work. so for mm-hmm. that cool. individual. Very much so. Cool. So, a question on that that sounds like a process which you, there was an investment of time. Yes. Um, now, my experience just occasionally being in a hospital for various reasons um, the nurses I've interacted with in a hospital setting are moving at the speed of light Um, they're amazing but um, and thorough but there's a rhythm and a speed to things um, and and so how much of is, is it a sort of culture shift for a lot of our nurses when you might, as two people who have supervisory um, roles in the department, kind of say, no, it's important to slow down and we're going to get to the blood work. But first, you're going to form that relationship with that student. Is there sometimes a reaction of like, yes, are we oh, allowed yeah. to yes. do that? Yes. Or don't oh, yeah. we have to do this right? Does, is it a stat? Yes. Like, does this right yeah. now? Yes. Like with my new nurses, okay. we have our admissions. Um, one of them came in. Not did not want to see the doctor. Worked on you know worked with her for a couple weeks, and before even the doctor, uh, Doctor Gearing, mm-hmm. wonderful. Works so great with our kids. He mm-hmm. would go down to the classroom, introduce himself. Okay, and then it worked from the classroom to the hallway. He'd come out and say hi in the hallway. Open up the door. He'd say hi at the door to the waiting room, and then before you knew it, they were sitting on the exam table and they were getting a full head to toe physical. Mm-hmm. So you know it, it's really it's wonderful to work with him. It's wonderful to work with the behavior specialist. They come to us saying, hey, can I get a stethoscope? Can I get a blood pressure cuff? Can I borrow a tourniquet to work Mm -hmm. with them in the classroom when we have our sessions? And we're like, yeah, go right ahead. Take any tools you want. Mm -hmm. And so... So but, you can't but I, really you can't really effectively work in a silo when you're trying to when you're supporting our population. No. Oh no! And I think it is a culture shift if the nurses have come, even if they just came right out of school, because you, like you said, you're learning. You got to go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. Where I remember when I came here, just being the nurse supervisor, I'd be like, "Don't you have to implement that right now?" Mm-hmm. And you have to learn. No, these things can take a back burner like this is the most important thing at the time so it, it is it's a culture shift if, especially if you've come from elsewhere where it's constantly going yeah right and we say that to the new nurses all the time this isn't hospital nursing this is not a doctor's office this right. isn't case management this is autism nursing okay um it's a whole different world yeah Absolutely. I think that that, um, that I, I, I remember a story from way back. I don't even know if either of you were here. You might have been, maybe, but there was a young child who now is, I want to say he's, he's definitely a young man. He, he, I don't think he's graduated yet, but he's up there. But he used to have to be um, in a papoose. 
which is, um, are you thinking of who I'm thinking That's of? That's my boy. Okay. I'm thinking of my son right now. Um, <laughs> and I remember his parent was, his mother, you know, it was, it was so heartbreaking because she knew you know he needed the blood work he he needed to to get the medical care that he needed and a papoose actually in many ways it's it's not it doesn't it's not it doesn't cause injury it's not right. painful no. but it it looks very restrictive and you're really wrapping a child up so that they can't move for a period of time um i remember it had to be months of work um between the behavior specialist at the time and the nursing department to um, help desensitize him to the point that he didn't need to be in a papoose and he could walk into the nursing clinic and get his blood work. Um, but that day that he did it, it was kind of what you were just talking about, Mary. It was a celebration everywhere. I mean, I feel like everyone in the school building knew about it, even the people who didn't work with him. Um, so I, you know, I want to reinforce that point is because I mostly I, I want you both to know and to be able to share back with your entire team the importance of what you're doing every day. Um, and to hear what you said, Gina, before about some of the work that you did with the student who was transitioning to become a residential student, to know that that particular focused desensitization in terms of the nurses clinic at Anderson had a carryover effect for the family having a more maybe expansive or broad opportunity in the community to do more things with their son. I mean, those are those bonuses that we just Absolutely. you know it's like the um the, the hidden paycheck right it's the payoff at the end that you didn't even plan for but um um it's wonderful when we see those things happening so and it's also the parents knowing yeah. that the parents know that they can call somebody and that person's going to get back to them and and reassuring them that your child is safe they're okay and anytime you have a question or concern please reach out mm-hmm. to us i think that's just a huge bonus as well so communication yes. on both sides it sounds like you're training your nurses to be really clear about, first of all, the most important thing is when you first get them on the phone, if it's not an emergency, say it's not an emergency. Right, exactly. <laughs> no one likes to get a call right. from the school nurse ever. So um, so you, you always want to make sure about that. But also, what are... Um, what does it take to go? What, what kind of effort do you put into your relationships with area providers? Because I know sometimes students have to go to the hospital. Sometimes students have to go to a um, to an outpatient um, medical facility. So, do you accompany students when they're going on those doctors, or do the, does a nurse accompany them? I have mm-hmm. um, actually the boy you were just speaking yeah. about because um, I was there through the desensitization process. Um, he needed a colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. Um, it does not wait well. Mm-hmm. I had our med drivers there support. Mom was there and her sister. And it was a team effort. We did everything we could. I was there advocating for him saying, listen, we need to get moving. Let's get this process going. The med drivers kept him calm and supported him as best they could. Um, and the nurses were very receptive. They're mm-hmm. like, okay, we're moving as fast as we can. We got into the room to get him under. You know, the doctor understood. Wonderful GI doctor. And just helped calm him down and worked with us. And that's, you know, we don't see that too often. Mm -hmm. We do have a handful of providers that we do utilize because they understand. Mm -hmm. They understand they can't speak when the nurse says something, they listen. Mm -hmm. Or when the staff says something, they listen. Mm -hmm. Whereas there are some providers who, you know, are just like, nope, not showing this sign of symptoms. My facility, my rules kind of thing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, And I I have to say, separate and apart from our nurses, our medical drivers are phenomenal. Yes. Shout out to the medical drivers. They really have um, formed some great relationships out in the community. Mm -hmm. um, And they really do a great job when they take our kids out and 
a nurse isn't there. So. Absolutely. And what I notice about those drivers is that they always have a smile on their face. Yes. yes. They know how important it is for that student who's anxious to, and the family who's anxious, whether they're meeting them there or they're hearing about it later on the phone, um, to know that that driver wants to be where they are and likes what they're doing and understands how important it is to, um, to come prepared, whether it's with activities or a special treat afterwards or something like that. And it so. also goes for our DSPs. They yeah. do a phenomenal job at Anderson. They're, they're often the ones who stay overnight at the hospital right, yeah. or and, who are, right, yeah. And they, they're just our eyes and ears mm-hmm. and they really are phenomenal and we couldn't run without them. So they do a great job as well. Awesome. We are almost out of time. I want to ask you in our last minute, each of you, um, Mary, let's start with you. What do you, what is your favorite thing? What do you love about what you do? Oh, my kids. I love my kids. I love that if I need a 15 minute break, I can go across the hall to a classroom, grab my favorite girl and do her hair, mm-hmm. listen to Bruno Mars, who there she loves. So I just love that I can do that and put a smile on their face. And, they and give then me when she needs to smile. come to the clinic, she's probably looking forward to seeing you. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Yes. What about you, Gina? I love making a difference. Mm-hmm. So I love being um, a part of Anderson and being a bigger part of a bigger picture and making sure that the future, you know, is better for our individuals with autism. That's great. Well, I know that on behalf of uh, pretty much everybody at Anderson and all the families that I interact with and talk to um, when it comes to the work that you do, there's an enormous sense of gratitude and appreciation for how hard you work and how seriously you take what you do. So thank you. Thank you. All right. This is One in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. And remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to One in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at the same time next week. 